Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 3 of a fanfiction titled To Build a Home by today's guest fanfiction writer, Emblematic. Sirius had only intended to stay two days, but suddenly it was New Year's Eve. The full moon was on the 2nd of January, and Remus had been planning to spend it in Kendall, so it made sense for Sirius to stay on for that. The first full moon he'd spent with Remus in over a year. While he stayed in the Lupin guest room, he settled into the rhythm of the household with disconcerting ease. Remus and Hope got up early, And so he did as well, and helped with the cooking and cleaning when he could figure out how the soaps worked. Remus took him on walks and hikes. He even lent Sirius his old boots, freshly dubbined, and an actual coat so they could hike Scaffold Pike, a plan to which Sirius regretted agreeing immediately. But even that turned into something oddly magical. It rained the whole day, but they cast weatherproofing charms and made it to the peak, coming back to the house freezing but dry, and Hope had made a stew that Sirius told her earnestly made him see God, or something like it anyway. She laughed and ruffled his hair in a way that made him feel delightfully six years old. All of this, the hiking, the cleanly patchworked fields, the rolling roads to the village, Remus's mother making bread and soups from their garden-grown vegetables, All of it was folded neatly into the hagiography of Remus that Sirius was compiling chapter by chapter, somewhere in a dark corner of his reverent soul. Every day like a little miracle. Every day like a prayer answered. Moonrise crept up on them, but Remus had spent his childhood transforming in the Lake District and didn't need much warning to apparate them to a secluded valley, penned on all sides by mountain and empty and cold as a crypt. They had two minutes before Remus changed. Remus stripped his clothes off and stored them under a boulder, while Sirius tried not to watch. The change came quickly and Sirius followed. He transformed into Padfoot just as the wolf reared up from its crouch, with a howl that made every single hair on Padfoot's ruff stand up, and pulled an answering howl free from his own chest. Later, Sirius would remember almost everything from this night with crystal clarity except the sky, which in reality was clouded but in his memory would be open, star-studded, expansive, and unknowable as the future. He'd remember, correctly, that the wolf was different than it had been at Hogwarts. He'd remember the restless, brutal, snarling fury all of it undercut with a fear so intense it had its own meaty weight. The night took Sirius by surprise and he spent the whole long stretch of it trying to put himself back on track, trying to reacquaint himself with the wolf and trying to convince them both that they remembered each other. At one point he found himself literally between Remus's jaws, helpless and pliant mewling like a supplicant. This, too, he would remember for the rest of his life.
to the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fanfiction writer today is Molly, also known on AO3 as Emblematic. She's been a member of AO3 since 2018 and has 31 fanfictions posted for Raven Cycles, Spider-Man, and of course, Harry Potter. Molly is a research scientist by day and in her spare time. She loves to read contemporary literary fiction, sci-fi, and fantasy. She also loves theater as well and describes herself as a fandom generalist with a longtime love for Wolfstar. Molly, welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you're here. Fandom generalist. I'm so curious about that. What does that mean exactly? (laughs) So I couldn't really tell you what it means, except that I have read. I'm not even going to claim that I've read widely. I don't think of myself as a widely read fan fiction enjoyer because I'm constantly comparing myself to people like you who read widely and deeply in fandoms. And I have a a really good friend, Jackie, who reads, you know, very, very widely in the Harry Potter fan fiction, meaning lots of different pairings and lots of different tropes. I think what I mean by fandom generalist is that I have kind of a specific taste. I know exactly what I'm looking for and I can find that pretty much anywhere. So I have loved Wolfstar. I've loved Harry Potter fan fiction for a very long time, but I've kind of dipped my toes in a lot of other fandoms over the years. Oh, I love that. No, that's so cool, though. That's so cool. It is interesting kind of uh, branching out and expanding and kind of exposing yourself to different fandoms. I think there's a lot to learn there, and it's just really interesting. Especially when you see some of the same stuff pop up in all of the fandoms, you start seeing this pattern of like, oh, it's the same. That's so cool. But then you also see the differences and those are interesting, too. Yes, I think it's been because I'm kind of always looking for the same thing. You start to pick up on what people like to read and what is consistent over various fandoms. But you also start to see how different fandoms kind of evolve and the way that inside jokes start in a fandom and kind of snowball in a way that's really interesting to read as an outsider or as an insider. It's been just like, I just love fan fiction as as a community that grows. And you can be really deeply entrenched in one fandom and then hop over into another one and see how it's grown in a different way, which I just love. Yes. Isn't it so funny that once the community gets together and we're kind of in each other's back pockets sometimes, you know, with the specific fandoms that we're into and everything. <laughs> and you you do start seeing this really interesting, like, fandom culture develop, you know, the headcanons and the fanon and all of this stuff. Yeah. And you can trace it sometimes by just reading the fan fiction from different time periods and different eras and be like, oh, look, this is what the community was thinking about at this time. You know, yeah. it's it's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't claim to have ever found the first instance of a specific headcanon, but I think it is kind of funny to see about the time that that kind of characterization pops up or a specific joke gets made and someone latches onto it and says, ah, yes, that is true. And uh, it's going to be true forever now, I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then the whole community is like, yes, amen. It's so funny. But um, 
Speaking of all that history and science and stuff, tell us about your particular relationship with fan fiction. I want to hear about how you found your very first one. I really, really wish that I could remember how I found my first fan fiction and what that fan fiction was, because I think it would be so funny to go back and read it as a seasoned fan fiction reader and as a writer and see, like, what was it about this fan fiction that drew me in? I just can't. I have no idea how I found fan fiction. I do kind of have a guess because I kind of, I know myself well enough to know what I was probably Googling at the age that I would have encountered fan fiction. I was a big reader as a kid and Harry Potter dominated my childhood in the way that it did for a lot of millennials. And so my guess is I was just Googling around for Harry Potter things and landed in a fan fiction-y adjacent website and then kind of from there found the greater community. I'm pretty sure it was Harry Potter, but I can't tell you what my first fan fiction was. But my parents are both software engineers and I grew up in the Silicon Valley. So I had a personal computer in my bedroom from a very young age, like really for as long as I can remember. And I think that meant that I had kind of an interesting relationship with the internet compared to people of my age group, because I just like had a a private computer forever, for as long as I can remember. So I pretty much had free reign, you know, (laughs) and I don't think my parents were ever really policing what I was doing. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like it was connected to the internet in your bedroom. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'll tell you this funny story. Maybe I'll cut this out of the podcast, but I think it's (laughs) hilarious. You know, my dad, not a software engineer, but he always thought that the future was with computers. So he wanted us to learn how to use them. So we did have a family computer in the living room, in the middle of what everyone else was doing throughout the day. That was the only computer that was connected to the Internet. And then he would give me his old work computers for my bedroom. And all that was on it was a word processor. So I could write little stories in there or whatever. But one day I did get this wise idea that I could like steal some Internet connection for my bedroom computer. And this was in the days of dial-up. So I found all of these really random telephone cords, because that's what you used back then for dial-up internet was telephone cords. And there was a telephone cord platelet in my parents' master bedroom, and I was all the way down the hall. So I needed a really long cord. I spent a week splicing and dicing all of these different telephone cords and like oh my god <laughs> putting them together you know yeah. and finally made it long enough to <laughs> string it from my bedroom <laughs> computer to the little connector that was in my parents master bedroom and of course 5 minutes after i plug it in my dad came upstairs to get something from his room and he found it When he found it, I got in trouble, right? I got grounded. But he did say, this is kind of ingenious, so I'll let you be on the internet for an hour. You can do whatever you want for an hour. I read a whole Stargate fan fiction in my room. That's so lovely. This novel concept. (laughs) I know, I know. I was like, oh my God, a whole hour of fan fiction reading in private? Hell yeah. Amazing. (laughs) So funny. So it kind of sounds like, um, was this pre-high school when you started reading fan fiction? 
Yeah, yeah, it would have been early. I think probably middle school was when I first encountered fan fiction. And it was almost certainly Harry Potter fan fiction. But I was also kind of following authors to some extent, like I would find someone whose work I liked, and then would just see what else they had posted. So I read like, fan fiction for fandoms that I've never encountered the canon for like Stargate Atlantis. I read a lot of fan fiction for Stargate Atlantis. Let's see. I feel like uh, a little bit of X-Files. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Classic. A a little bit of Star Trek, but I've never I've never really been on the Star Trek train. I've kind of like (laughs) gasp, gasp, total gasp. I know. I've touched it and kind of, you know decided, yeah, that's probably not for me. So um, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I, w- I was pretty loyal to Harry Potter right off the bat. And I was actually very loyal to Wolfstar right off the bat. Like, from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really from the beginning. I mean, in fact, I, I think for a long time, fan fiction and Harry Potter was kind of synonymous for me, even though I knew that other stuff existed. But it was, I just thought of reading fan fiction as reading about Harry Potter characters for a very long time. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> but you know, that makes sense, though. That makes sense because when Harry Potter kind of exploded in popularity it was right around the time when the internet exploded in popularity as well. So there was just so much content. Even if you weren't a Harry Potter fan for for whatever reason, it, it was impossible to avoid it, you know, in the fan fiction spaces. Anyway, I feel like, you know, it's, it was just everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't trying to avoid it, obviously. So I don't know how <laughs> hard know. it was to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just remember it was just everywhere. And uh, I mean, people were posting thousands of new stories a day, you know, on different sites and stuff. As I'm thinking back to my early experiences, because, you know, I experienced fan fiction first on those little private archives that people were running. When I think about the different fandoms that I did that for, Harry Potter had the most, like the highest count in my head of these little private archives. I mean, it was just everywhere. The content was everywhere. So you could certainly spend all of your time if you wanted to digging into that Harry Potter fan fiction. Right. <laughs> I think I was definitely behind the, or, or rather, I came to fan fiction a little bit later than private collections. What did you call them? Private servers? They were like private archives that had nothing to do with fanfiction.net. AO3 didn't exist yet, you know. So yeah, a, a lot of us started out on those like private archives. Yeah. No, I remember I remember that coming up on on this podcast before and thinking about how interesting of an internet experience that would be to kind of like have to find the hidden link and to to have to, you know, be in the know, to know somebody or to be told where to go or however. It was the good old days, I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I oh for God. me it was much more like I was already or I came to fan fiction when everything was on live journal. Like it was very public facing. So I still kind of witnessed the, the you know, the purge of live journal and, and people removing fix off of fanfiction.net and stuff. But it was already kind of starting to feel much more public and much more public facing rather than internal bubble communities. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you remember the live journal age, though. I loved that. That was one of my favorite things, just because I don't know why exactly. The only thing, obviously, and everybody says this, you know, 
but it was kind of hard to find stuff on LiveJournal because we didn't have a good tagging system. So you just kind of hoped that people were linking to other good fan fictions on their live journal so that you could follow the links around and stuff. Yes. And that is what I did. I mean, that's what I mean when I say that I found an author that I liked and then just followed them around because the easiest way to find fan fiction that you wanted to read was to find a fan fiction and then kind of follow that person or find their rec list or whatever. But that ended up being often, I mean, it's, it's inefficient, but it's also kind of, it's like more personal, right? And you feel like you start to get to know this particular person and, the, and how they're interacting with media and who their friends are and how their friends are interacting with media, which is just, it was lovely. It was really, really lovely. And it's very different from, I think, how it works now and not necessarily in a better or worse way. It just had a different vibe, like fandoms just felt different. Yes, it was a little more personal, I guess. And a lot of people miss that. You, you talk to a lot of the the olds who remember and they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, just felt like more of a cohesive community back then, I think, just because of the way that LiveJournal worked and things. Exactly like you're saying, you kind of followed people in different fandoms and stuff like that. So it sounds like your initial fandom experience was with the Live Journal thing, which is so interesting to me. And then you also mentioned being involved with other fandoms and possibly other fandom experiences. And I know you wanted to kind of talk about the uniqueness of these different groups that you've been part of or have observed. We kind of talked about that a little bit with, <laughs> you know, our comments about being a fandom generalist. But um, I was just wondering if you had anything else to say about fandom experiences and what makes them unique. Yeah. So I, for the most part, the fandoms that I've been active in. I mean, almost entirely, I've been active in the Harry Potter fandom because it's where I started and it's where like, I feel like I've grown with the Harry Potter fandom. And I feel like I know a lot of the faces or at least the profile pictures in the Harry Potter fandom. But every so often, I've just kind of gotten roped into something else just by dint of enjoying a movie and going to see what else is, you know, who else is enjoying that movie and what they're writing, if anything. And so I've been involved with the Raven Cycle fandom, which is quite big. That's more on the order of, a, of Harry Potter. Not quite as big, but kind of but a big community. And I was like super into Scam. I don't know if you know about Scam, the TV show. No. <laughs> it's a very interesting concept, which is the TV show episodes, instead of being published as episodes, they get dropped as individual clips from the time of day that they're supposed to be happening. So a single episode will get dropped in a series of like 20-ish, five-minute-ish clips between Monday and Friday. And that's the full episode. It's a very cool concept. And then you also have Instagrams that have been set up for all of the individual characters. So you can follow them on Instagram and watch them interact on Instagram. So it's a very like interactive kind of, and it's supposed to be happening in real time. That sounds so fun. It's very fun. <laughs> and the best part is that it's been remade, almost carbon copied across different languages. So the first one was in uh, Norway. And then I think the next one was in France, but it kept the same format and it kept the same story. It just recast it and set it in Paris. Yeah. So got like really roped into that, read a lot of fan fiction in the scam fandom. And then have like variously drifted between other fandoms. Like I was really heavily invested in a 
tiny, tiny, tiny musical fandom and like very, very invested in various book fandoms. So it's just, I feel like I have phases of how I move through different fandoms where I just like throw all my eggs in one basket for a while. And then over time, I slowly move them back to the wolf star basket. And then I'll take all those eggs again and put them in a different basket, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question for you, a follow-up question. I was describing this same phenomenon to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago. And I was using the word cycle, but I like your word better, phases. Yes, there are these phases, right, that we sometimes go through. And I realized <laughs> rather recently that for me, it's the same feeling I get when I'm falling in love. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because I was going to say that it's like falling in love. And then I didn't <laughs> want to sound like a weirdo. <laughs> well, that's why I wanted to ask you, because when I realized <laughs> that, I was like, damn. I'm not even a super romantic person, you know, but then I thought, oh, my God, that is what it feels like. It feels like falling in love and you just want to know everything you can about the fandom or the character that you like the most. And you want to see pictures of them every day and you want to talk (laughs) about them. And I'm like, wait a second. This sounds a lot like the beginning of a relationship or something. Yes, it's exactly like that. And I can kind of maybe this happens to you too, but I can always feel it coming where I I watch a movie or I read a book and I have this feeling of like, oh, this is really interesting and I want to know a little bit more. And then I, you know, whatever, I go read a fan fiction about it. And then the next day I'm still like, wow, I'm really still thinking about this. And maybe I'll just like poke into the lore a little bit. And then I do a little bit of poking and, I, you know, I can feel myself in the, in the back of my head. I'm thinking, hmm, I think I know it's going to occupy a lot of my time for the next right. few months. <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point, you know, you're deep into it. You're writing long, complicated backstories for characters that have very minor roles. And, you know, you're like planning alternate universe fix and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and you're just like, the feeling, that specific feeling is so hard to describe. It just takes you over. It just like, it makes you so happy to be thinking about that all the time. And it's kind of all you're thinking about at work, <laughs> unfortunately. And you like keep wanting to tell people about it. I find myself bringing up the movie, you know, three times in one day with the same person. And they're like, why are you thinking so much about this movie? <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, yeah, I can't shut up about my new bow. It's just so great. That's exactly how it's like. And it's so funny because I feel like, I don't know, people outside of fandom maybe just don't, they don't experience that. But how? Like, I don't understand how you don't experience that, but people don't sometimes. Yeah. I've had interesting interactions with people where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really into this book series at the moment, or I'm really into this movie at the moment. And they're like, what do you mean you're really into it? (laughs) Or even when you ask somebody kind of what they're interested in, and they, they kind of like, I don't know how to describe that interaction of like meeting someone that you cannot connect with them exactly, because they don't seem to enjoy anything to the same intensity as you. Yes, you're not speaking the same passionate language. When you encounter somebody 
that has that same level of passion. And it doesn't even sometimes matter what they're passionate about, but like they can at least understand and meet you on that vibe, I guess, that that energy, you know, and you can be like, okay, I understand at least what this energy is about, what the vibe is about. And we can kind of have a common language, right, about that thing. But yeah, I, I find myself sometimes wondering like, wow, there are really people out there who don't get super passionate and obsessed about (laughs) things like that's crazy, man. I was going to say on the flip side, you meet people who do have that passion for something that you've never heard of, or maybe you didn't think you would care about. And like seeing that in someone else's face is such a joy, right? When they're like, oh man, I just read this book and I just, I can't stop thinking about it. It's all I've been thinking about for weeks. And you're like, ooh, tell me about it. Like, I want to hear what you have fallen in love with. And I have a very, very good friend who I often, we don't really agree on a lot of things, but she does, she goes through that same phase cycle where she falls in love with something. And then we just like talk about it over the course of several weeks. And sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. She's not like really into fandom exactly, but she goes through that same mindset. And I just love watching that happen. You know, I just, I love watching people fall in love with something and hearing them talk about it and kind of like hearing their opinions about it evolve and change. And yeah, it's just a lovely feeling. Yes, same, 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 same. There's something so pure about listening to another human tell you about what they love. You know, there's just something so pure about that. Like, I'll never get tired of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, one thing I will say in this whole phasing cycle that we've been talking about, I don't know if it's this way for you, but for me, fan fiction is a huge component of that. If I fall in love with something and it just doesn't have a very big fan fiction base, like nobody's writing stories about it, it just doesn't have the staying power for me. The fan fiction kind of expands the time frame that I'm obsessed with something, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's the same for you, but. Oh, my gosh, totally. Yeah. I think that for a long time, if I liked something, but I couldn't find any fan fiction about it then it would just kind of be a normal interest (laughs) that I lost at some point. (laughs) Um, Whereas if there was fan fiction, I'd like that was my life for a few months. And lately what's happened is that I've learned that I can just write my own fan fiction, which is kind of dangerous because then you have, you like you fall in love and then you can just keep that going for as long as you want. For as long as your brain is interested in it, you can sit down and you can, flesh out headcanons and you can, you know, write new scenarios and like just keep that crush burning. Yes, yes. I have often wondered if that's the reason why I'm sort of a nomad with fandoms, you know. I'll love a fandom forever once I get really into it and once I fall in love and all that. And I'll return to these fandoms often. But I'm kind of a nomad where I just kind of go here and there and everywhere. It's just kind of a thing. And I've always said to myself, you know, if you were to actually be a fan fiction writer seriously for like 10 seconds, would it make you stay longer in a particular fandom? Like, would that change for you? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because, you know, I don't really post fan fiction at this point. But I've always wondered that if that's part of the staying power for certain people, because I have such admiration for people who have been in the same fandom for 
10 years or whatever, and they're still just so in love with it. And I'm like, oh, my God, the dedication and the passion, like, that's so cool. I've always wondered if writing is part of that process. Yeah, I think for me, at least on my side, it definitely does sustain that passion a little bit, but it doesn't make it forever. At some point, I get tired of writing for a fandom, or at least for in the case of many fandoms, <laughs> I get tired of writing the fan fiction for that particular pairing or that particular fandom, and then I just will leave. And so I think that, yes, on the one hand, it probably like that love lasts a little bit longer than it would if I wasn't writing, but it doesn't necessarily give it forever staying power. Does that apply to Wolfstar too? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. I just had to check. I had to be sure. Well, we'll get there in just a second. But fan fiction is a general concept. I was hoping you could give us your thoughts on that real quick. What are the three top things that you love the most about fan fiction? Oh, there are so many things I love about fan fiction. I really like the gap filling approach to fan fiction. So you have some canon and there's backstory that hasn't been fully described or characters that haven't been fully fleshed out. And I really love when that ambiguity gets fleshed out by different people in different ways. So in the case of Harry Potter, which I think nobody would argue that Hogwarts and the magical world <laughs> is very fleshed out or well fleshed out. There's kind of inconsistent magic rules, and there's a lot of characters that don't get a lot of background, and there's so much room there to come in and kind of do some gap filling around those characters and in the world. And that's always how I approach fan fiction for the most part, as like a, a way to take a piece of media that exists and to figure out what else exists in that universe. And who those characters are when they're not directly on the page in front of you or like before the story starts or after the story ends. And what I love about fan fiction specifically is that anybody can do that. Anybody can look at that character and say, I think this action only makes sense if such and such happened before canon. Or I think this world only makes sense if such and such is true. And I'm going to write about that and I'm going to flesh it out. So reading how everybody approaches that and how everybody approaches it differently is one of my favorite things. You know, the same story told in five different ways with five different answers. And then you can, you can come along and you can read that and say like, oh, I really like that interpretation. Or mm, actually, none of these interpretations work for me. I'm going to do it differently. Or... All of these things are equally likely, and I like this one best because I like the writing best or whatever. They're just like the amount of choice you have while still being around the characters you love and the plots that you love and the universes you love. Like, I think that's what's kept me in fan fiction for so long. I absolutely love that because uh, it's so fascinating to me that we just never get tired, I guess. Right. Like we never get tired. Some people say, oh, you know, fan fiction, it's like telling the same story over and over and over again. And it is, I guess, you know, <laughs> but, you know, with so many people giving their interpretations and making their own unique contributions, it's always going to be a little bit different. Always. You know, it doesn't matter how many times, you know, we've kind of seen the same thing over and over and over again. It's always a little bit different. Always. 
And it's always gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of personality of the person who's writing it too. So sometimes you can come in and you're, you know, you're, you're reading the same story that you've read before, or you're reading about the same character that you know and love, that you're getting just like a little bit of a taste of the author. And I think then that kind of leads into the other thing that I like about fan fiction, which is the community of people that surround fan fiction and the community of people that grows out of writing fan fiction, reading fan fiction, how that community grows and the people that I've met in that community. Like it's just very visible, even from the very first initial stage of clicking a title on someone's profile on AO3. <laughs> you know, you click on a story and you're like, oh, this person feels like somebody I would get along with. And then you go to their Tumblr and they seem great. And so you click follow. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're like, this person is so fun and thinks the way I do and has very good opinions about media I already like. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, lo I just love that. I love finding people and getting to know them through the things that they've created and the ideas that they've put into the world about things that I already enjoy. Yeah. The community is so unique, just in the sense that everybody's being creative about something. And I think we were talking a little bit before recording about like how beautiful that is when people can be creative and when people can contribute something out of their own brains and out of their own hearts to the world. And when you get to be part of that just a little bit, and then you get to hear about what other people are doing. And it's just this like whole community of people that are making things that didn't exist before putting something beautiful into the world. And ugh, I just can't get over it. Like how cool that is. How cool that is. I love it. And I think in some ways we're all connected by the fact that we interact with the things we love in a very creative way, right? That sounds a lot like I'm tooting my own horn, but I don't mean it to sound like that. I more mean that we all read a book we liked and we want to keep thinking about a book we liked. And so we're going to kind of create within that space, which I think is like a very unique and special way to interact with media and with pop culture, right? Is to is to be creative in a space instead of just to like, I don't know, like rewatch it or or um or read other people's interpretations of it. And I'm not saying that, you know, my way is the better way or like the way that fan fiction writers interact with media is the better way. But I do think it kind of collects people who all want to do that, who all want to contribute to a community in that creative light. And so you just end up liking people because they think the way that you do to some extent. Differently, of course, but... <laughs> yes, no, and I love the way you put that. I love that point because uh, we are the people that are not content to just passively consume. Yes. <laughs> right? Once we fall in love with it, we want to have a dialogue with it. We yes. want to internalize it in some fashion. And we want to connect it to something real and something human. So we're taking these things and we're exploring ourselves through the media. And it's this like a beautiful thing because, yeah, like it, there's nothing wrong with folks that want to passively consume stuff. That's totally fine. Like more power to you. But um, I agree with you, like my people and your people are the <laughs> folks that are, you know, we have something to say about it and we're going to say it. I just think that's beautiful. Fan fiction absolutely makes me so excited because uh, just watching how people react and have dialogue. Yeah, I think that's very well put. 
we want a dialogue with whatever we are consuming. I think that's a very important way that I interact with media and and more so lately, more so as I've realized it's an option to put myself back into the media and to think about like what I would do differently if I was writing it or how I would reinterpret characters. Like I think that's very important to how I enjoy stuff. And I love to meet people who feel that same way. You know, as you were saying that, it just occurs to me, going back to what we were saying about like the experience of falling in love. Um <laughs> when we interact with fandom in this particular way, I feel like we're almost having a relationship with it, you know? And I know that's so corny to say. It's so corny <laughs> to say. But it kind of is though, because you want to know it, but you want it to know you too. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you want the people, the other people involved. Now I'm I realize I'm turning this into a polyamorous relationship, but <laughs> you want to like not just have the dialogue with you and it, but you want to kind of hear other people's perspective. You want it to turn into a conversation and have an entire conversation about what you're thinking about in connection to this media. Yes. You're turning the whole experience into this like very meaningful human connection. Which is very interesting because I saw elements of this concept in your fan fiction. We're going to talk about that. But um, <laughs> actually, since we're there, talk to me about Wolfstar. Uh, it sounds like Wolfstar captured your imagination early mm -hmm. on in life, which I love. That's so cool. <laughs> so I'm kind of assuming that your love of Wolfstar most likely happened with the books, but you'll have to tell me if that's true or not. But I kind of want to hear about that. Did it start with reading the Harry Potter canon books? And I also really want to know for you as the writer, what is it about these particular characters that makes them so compelling for you? So I, I have to admit, that I don't think that my love of Wolfstar really started with the books at all. To be clear, I loved the Harry Potter books for a long time. And, and they really did, in some ways, for better or worse, like make my childhood. But I think of kind of the relationship like Remus and Sirius, Remus Lupin and Sirius Black as characters that exist <laughs> pretty separate from canon. And I don't know if J.K. Rowling would agree with me there, but I have always kind of existed with these characters in their own story that is very, very separate for me from Harry Potter and his friends who go through Hogwarts. And I, I, obviously I was entranced enough by Hogwarts and by the world that was created in the Harry Potter books to look for that and to be like interested in that. And I think the world that J.K. Rowling wrote sets itself up for a lot of interesting exploration, partly because it's not super well fleshed out. So there's room to say like, how could we do this better? Or what parts of this make sense and what parts of it don't make sense? So yeah, so I think discovering the, I guess it wasn't called the Wolfstar community when I discovered it. <laughs> I think Wolfstar is relatively recent. I'm not sure how recent, but. It is, yeah. That did not exist when I first started reading Wolfstar. Yeah, and I know like people called it like puppy love and stuff. There, there were lots of different names for it. I just thought of it as Remus Sirius or RS for a very long time. And what I loved about that relationship and, and the world being built up in these early fan fictions that I was finding 
was that it was definitely gap filling. You know, we knew kind of the basics of what happened with Harry Potter's dad <laughs> and his mom and Harry Potter's dad's friends. And we know that they had tragic endings. And we know how that, you know, influenced the later books, you know, the actual Harry Potter books. But they weren't like, they weren't really flushed out. And we didn't know a lot about how these characters went through school. And so there was so much room to just write whatever you wanted to write in a setting that was very fun and interesting. And what I liked best about this relationship is that it was like a very, it could be written in a lot of different ways. And the relationships that I liked or the arcs of stories that I liked best when I had first discovered this pairing is the relationship arc that I could see myself in, which is basically two very good friends at school who fall in love fall in love and get together, right? It was like, it was as easy as that, is that I could kind of see myself in that setting, although it was much more interesting than my lame Californian high school. And you could just watch them become very, very good friends. And then the get-togethers, you know, they have a lot, the, the stakes are so high because they're such good friends, because the marauders are so tight, you know, they don't want to like ruin those friendship dynamics. But, you know, in the end, all the stories that I was reading, anyway, they did end up getting together. So it was a very classic obsession, I think, with the, the friends to lovers dynamic and specifically like the stakes associated with a friends to lovers dynamic. And all of it wrapped up in a setting that I was already interested in and in a way that kind of slotted itself neatly into what we already knew about the history of these books. Yeah, so that's what brought me to Wolfstar. And I think what was interesting for me as I got older is that every time I came back to Wolfstar, every time I came back to the Harry Potter Phantom after existing somewhere else for a while, I would come at it with a different, a different mindset, I guess. Kind of I was interested in different things and I had different experiences in life and I had different things that I was interested in personally. So I was looking for different things and what these characters were interested in personally. Do you think age has a lot to do with that? Oh, certainly. Yes. Yeah. I think that, so I was reading a lot of fan fiction in high school and then kind of left it behind for most of college and then came back to it at the beginning of grad school and then left it behind and then came back to it at the end of grad school. And throughout that process of like leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back, it was entirely age related. Was, I, I was looking, I was interested in these characters at a different stage in their relationship. And it felt like growing up with them, you know, how would these characters act in this situation when they're this age? And how would they act in this situation after they've had these experiences? It was always kind of a, a feeling of, like, how have these characters grown as I've been apart from them, I guess? Oh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. So glad. We've never covered that on the show before. But like, <laughs> that is a thing that can happen because um, we're constantly changing as human beings, right? As we get older, our perspectives shift because of different experiences that we go through. So it is so interesting to return 
to a fandom that we love or a pairing that we love, you know, years later and realize like this part of the dynamic of the relationship means so much more to me now because of this experience that I went through or I understand this about the relationship in a way I never did before because now I get it or just little things like that. And that is so fascinating to me. So fascinating. I love that. Yeah, totally. And I think that Wolfstar is a very interesting example because the fandom is so cleanly split into different eras just because of the character stories, but also because of how the story happens. So like you have the early years when they're at Hogwarts and that's its own era. And then you have the era after they leave Hogwarts. And so for a very short period of time, they're like intensely embroiled in this war between the wizarding world and the muggle world and then you have the lost years when they're not interacting and then you have the years where they come back together and they're much older and so if you're interested in a particular kind of relationship and a particular dynamic then a lot of that is very neatly split up in time so you can say i'm only interested in the first horror period right now or i'm only interested in the hogwarts years right now and I just think that's been that's been a very easy way to grow up with characters because when I was first reading Wolfstar in, in high school, I was only reading about Hogwarts. Like that was all I cared about. I, I just cared about like how cool it must have been to go to a boarding school and fall in love with your best friend at a boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because those are concepts you can understand at that yes. age and you can relate to that experience, right? And be like, yes, I get it. And then you start relating to other things. I had never thought about that with Wolfstar before, that there are different eras that you can focus on just depending on what perspective you want to pursue. I'm sure that those would change as you grow and develop as a human being, <laughs> you know, and that's such a fascinating aspect of Wolfstar. I never thought about it that way. Wow. And I also think that in the live journal era, it was very it was a very easy way to sort fix, right? Because the tagging system was pretty crap for a long time. But what you could usually do, like people would separate reckless by era. So you could pretty easily say like, okay, I'm only going to look at this first section, which is the boarding school era. And then as you get slightly more interested in other eras, you can go to the first war section of, <laughs> of Reckless, et cetera, et cetera. And so now you don't need that as much because AO3 has a much better tagging system. But the way that I was interacting with this fandom at first was so live journal based that it immediately cemented it in my head as the timing of this relationship has important benchmarks and the themes match up pretty well with those timing benchmarks. Yes, absolutely. Well, the fic that we're covering today uh, for you, this seems pretty firmly entrenched in the first war era, which I'm so fascinated by because I feel like I just, I don't personally know very much about that era, you know? So reading these Wolfstar fics lately has been amazing because I'm like, oh, <laughs> I never thought about this or I never thought about that. Like, that's so interesting. The fic we're covering today is to build a home. So good. First of all, so, so good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what this story is about and then what inspired you to write it in the first place? Yeah. So can't remember how much I've already said, so I'll just <laughs> start talking. But the first war in the Harry Potter books is a war between Voldemort and the Muggle world, sort of. Basically, Voldemort is trying to come to power politically, and he is 
being fought by the Order of the Phoenix, which is basically other wizards who don't think that he should come to power. So we know that from the books, and we know a little bit of detail about who was in the Order of the Phoenix and who died during that period, actually. We, we have a surprisingly comprehensive knowledge of who died during the first Wizarding War. But that's kind of it. Like, J.K. Rowling doesn't talk a lot of specifics about how the war was fought and what was actually happening on the ground in terms of warfare, which I've always thought was kind of an interesting omission because I never really understood what it would mean to be at war with Voldemort. Like, it, it wasn't out in the open. Like, they weren't, like, building trenches, you know, and fighting with magic ac- across no man's land. So it was all very kind of like secretive and there was a lot of spy action. You know, there were like people who were secret agents and and so on and so forth. Cloak and dagger espionage type situation here. Yeah. Yeah. And I personally think that what J.K. Rowling has said about the First World War doesn't make any sense. Like, I just don't understand how it could have actually worked. And so I think that like one of the very interesting things about coming back to Wolfstar as an older person is just thinking about kind of logistics in a way that I never would have thought about logistics when I was just reading Hogwarts fix as a young man. So as I was thinking about like, what would a story set during the first Wizarding War look like? I realized I had no idea what it would look like because I didn't know what they were doing. Like physically day by day, I did not know what these characters were doing. I knew kind of like if you read enough first war fic, then the same themes come up again and again. Like there's a lot of mistrust at the core of the friend group. Yeah, there's so many secrets. Yes, so many secrets. But yeah, the wolf star relationship during the first wizarding war is defined by a lack of trust which I think is like a very interesting concept. As I get older, I think more and more so it's an interesting concept that these people who are very much in love with each other but cannot trust one another. So that's a very common theme that shows up in First War Fic, but like everybody disagrees on the details, you know. There's a lot of different ways that you can write about what people were actually doing during the war. I just wanted to guess (laughs) at what might be happening, kind of like, I just wanted to think about a situation or I wanted to think about a way that the fighting could be made tangible. So then the first war has clear stakes and kind of facts put to it to arrange the characters around. And then you can still explore the relationship, but there's actually something tangible happening in the background that provides the the rise and fall of action and gives a reason why some of them can be trusted or some of them can't be trusted, why they start to mistrust each other, that kind of thing. Yes, I felt like mistrust was this huge theme that you were exploring and playing with here, which I really appreciated. Like, I thought that was fascinating. I also loved, like, (laughs) when I went into this fic for the first time, I scanned the tags, you know, as one does. And I found the, oops, it's a sad one tag (laughs) in here. (laughs) And that made me laugh, first of all. That was hilarious. Um, It kind of sounds like the story went unexpected places for you, at least in some regard. I was hoping you could talk about that just a little bit. 
at what point did you realize like, oops, it's a sad one? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I had this idea in my head of like how you could put facts to the first war, like what they could be fighting over. I had this idea of like the ley lines and the house wards, like basically Voldemort is trying to ward England to make it entirely his to be able to be controlling it um, in an intangible way. And I had this idea in my head and I was like, oh, okay, nice. That's like an easy one shot fic. I can do that. Can knock that out of the park in a couple of weeks and it'll be like 10K or something like that. At max 10K. At max. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was writing it and I was like, well, I, I definitely have a shtick. Like I'm always trying to write a get together because it's my favorite kind of fic is the like tension and the resolve of a romantic get-together plotline. I mean, I wanted that to exist within this other plotline that I was creating for the first war. So I was like trying to weave those together and it was getting longer and longer. And then I was like, oh, well, like this is so close to the end of the war. It's so close to um, the time that an actual betrayal happens and everything falls apart that I kind of do have to set up why they would start to not trust each other. And it kind of made sense to wrap that into the, the first war plot. So basically, it just kept getting sadder and sadder <laughs> as I was writing <laughs> um, and kind of like more and more tense. And my friend, Jackie, who's on Tumblr at Broomsticks, she had agreed to beta this. And I was like... I had wrapped her in for, you know, a, a, a 9K fic to beta. And I kept, I just kept texting her like, I'm so sorry. This is longer than it was supposed to be. Okay, there's another chapter now. Um, okay, how do you feel about five chapters? <laughs> it just kept expanding and expanding. And she was so nice about it. And that really helped, especially because I then had to at some point take it back and rewrite portions of it. So it all kind of made sense. Um, and then she read the whole thing again, which was just like, wonderful of her and she provided really really helpful feedback but just as like the feeling of writing this fic was so interesting because I just had this idea that I wanted to get out on a page and it the way that the idea started running away from me as I was writing that had never happened before usually I have like one scene or one piece of dialogue that I'm building out from and then it's just like, that's it. That's, I, you don't, you don't need anything else. You just like build up to that scene and then finish the fic and you're done. But in this case, it kind of took on a life of its own. And it was such a fun experience. It was such a, such an experience of like, oh, this is what it must feel to be a real writer. <laughs> to just kind of have things run away from you like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and yeah. And then you're kind of like chasing it down and gathering up all the pieces and pushing them together into a finished product. And it was just like, it was just, it was very, very fun. I had a great time. Oh, I'm so glad that this was such a fun project for you because it, it was sad. It was so tragic, but like, that's kind of my jam, you know, like I like <laughs> sad things. Make me cry, please. Like I like it. I'm so glad that this was one of those fun things where you're like, well, I didn't expect that, but here we are. <laughs> it was fun anyway. Shout out to Broomsticks for so many reasons. Uh, first of all, Broomsticks, 
your live reactions to some of these episodes are my favorite thing in the world. I just have to tell you that. Um, so shout out to you for that. Thank you so much because it makes my day every time. And then um, obviously shout out to you for helping folks throughout the fandom with their works um, because it's super, super cool. I, I love the community aspect and I love when people are out there just like donating their time for free to help beta stuff and give feedback and all of it. Like, how cool is that? Yes, for sure. And Jackie particularly, like, I know that I have time for shout outs at the end, but like Jackie is such an amazing contributor to the Harry Potter fandom. Like to, I know her, I or knew her first through Wolfstar, but she just is like, she just has become an essential part of the Harry Potter fandom generally. She is so good at providing feedback and like is so good at wrecking fix and like knows everybody and is so kind and so generous and she's just like wonderful wonderful person <laughs> so she deserves every shout out she gets yeah you know i've always been impressed by like uh she seems to have like a lot of um information when i read some of these things that she writes i'm like holy shit fandom history canon history i mean yeah stats like i'm just like holy shit this is so cool so i could go on and on and on and i know that people have been asking her to come on the show and yes and i'm gonna double down on that and say on the podcast she should be your next guest she needs to be on the podcast tomorrow you know <laughs> open invitation broomsticks for you <laughs> absolutely i know that you've said no to others who have suggested that but i'm <laughs> suggesting it right now I love you and would love to have you come on the show. So open invitation. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> so this fic, I just have to reiterate, like this was so beautifully, beautifully written. The prologue and epilogue were genius, like so no. <laughs> genius. I just, I can't even, I can't even, they're so beautiful. And I really enjoyed the allegorical nature of this fic. You know, you have all of these really interesting allegories about homes and wards and things like that. It was so interesting to watch the relationship between Remus and Sirius sort of parallel this physical home that they're making together, right? <laughs> In this apartment and the different things that go into that. And then to kind of see the decline in the home as well as their relationship. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh my God. Yeah, it's a little on the nose. I'll admit now that it's like, it's a little too like, do you see what I did there? Do you understand what I'm doing? <laughs> I understand that. But I, I, it was very fun to think about, well, okay, I should say that, you know, at the time I was thinking about I was moving across the country, actually, and I was thinking about, you know, I was leaving people behind and I was thinking about what it would take to make a new community in the place where I was moving. There was a lot of thought in my head about what makes a home, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it. And when you build a home with somebody, what does that take and how much work does that take? So there was a little bit of that, I think, wrapped up in the parts of the Remus Sirius relationship that take place as they're building a flat together in London. Call it whatever you want, on the nose or whatever. But I really enjoyed it. My brain loves that shit. It's good, <laughs> good shit. So um, I really liked it. You know, one thing that struck me, I'm just kind of, I don't know, I feel like I'm a little uh, random here in my thoughts. The first thing that struck me the most 
that part at the end where Sirius accesses the ley line. I loved the way you described this, first of all. You you put a reference in there to being baptized. Like it's this sacred, like religious experience almost. It sounds like one of the most transcendent things that Sirius will ever experience in his entire life. And it struck me like, how crazy is that? That he has this amazing transcendent experience with this ley line magic. And at that point in the relationship, his connection with Remus is so tenuous that he can't even share that with Remus. Like he can't even talk about like, oh my God, you'll never believe what just happened to me today. The most incredible experience of your entire life. And you can't tell your partner about that. Like that was so tragic to me. Probably the most tragic part of the whole thing, honestly, for me, was that he couldn't share that. Yeah. And I think that is one of the reasons that I wanted to put tangible information about the first war in this fic is that it's not enough, really, at least not enough for me to describe the feeling of not being able to tell your partner something exciting that happened to you or like to say like Remus no longer trusted Sirius or Sirius no longer trusted Remus. <laughs> it's not enough. You have to kind of show like the the tragedy of something happening to you that you no longer have like this essential person in your life that you can turn to and say, this happened to me and it was life changing or this happened to me and it's like an important part of me or it was a life changing experience. Yeah, it made me think a lot about intimacy after I was reading or done reading this fic. I had this long conversation with myself after I was finished. And that conversation centered around the concept of intimacy. Something I found very interesting. And I don't know if this is typical of Wolfstar fic. I haven't really read enough of them to be able to tell you either way. But one thing I found so interesting about this story was that they kind of just, you can tell coming from Sirius's point of view, because this is told almost entirely from Sirius's POV. But you can tell that he's had you know, a thing for Remus for a long time. Once they get together, that's not like the first time that that's occurred to him, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> something that's been going on in his brain for a really long time. Yeah, mutual pining is like the tag on which I sort all fix. Like that is that that is my very, that is my specific taste is when two characters have been in love with each other for years, they just dance around it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I love it too. It's so good. That's why I was so struck by the fact that they finally get together and they start this intimate sexual relationship, which is great. That's what we want to see. Mm -hmm. But I was so <laughs> fascinated by the way that they just sort of left it there, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't really see any attempts <laughs> on either side to further the intimacy in the relationship in a non-sexual way, which I thought was so tragic because, uh, you know, you can kind of see the effects that that has, right, on them as they go on and everything. And it, it, it made me wonder something. I need your expert opinion um, <laughs> because I couldn't quite decide if it was just because they were, 
I don't want to use the word stupid. They're not stupid people, but that's kind of a silly thing to do, I think. Like if you're trying to have a you know, strong connection, romantic relationship with somebody, intimacy, emotional intimacy, you know, not just the sex part. Intimacy is, is important in a relationship. And I couldn't figure out or decide, were they not emotionally intimate with each other because there was a war on and the secrets from the war aspect were just too much. Or there's this part in the fic too where Sirius is talking about this relationship he has with Remus as this like scaffolding, you know? And he's like, I just feel like if I push this too far or make too many demands or I don't know, look at it too hard, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> scaffolding's gonna fall away. And what we already have, what we've come to is just gonna disappear, you know? So I couldn't quite tell if it was just them being so scared to be emotionally intimate with each other and further that, or was it really the war? Was that the factor? I I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think that intimacy in a relationship for certain types of people and I think that Remus and Sirius both fall into this category. At least Remus does, for sure. I think Remus Lupin definitely falls into this, or at least my interpretation of Remus Lupin falls into this category. Intimacy is very difficult to build. Like It is hard to cross that line between this person is my friend and I can trust this person with my life. Or even the line between I can trust this person with my life and I can tell this person anything and trust them not to love me any less. I think that line is very difficult to cross. It has been, in my experience, very difficult to cross. And I see myself in Remus Lupin, or at least I put myself into Remus Lupin. <laughs> so I think that regardless of whether or not there was a war, I think that the relationship could have progressed up to that stage where they decide to take the risk to start a sexual relationship, but don't necessarily immediately make that completely intimate, like completely emotionally intimate. And I think like the war going on in the background really intensifies that where because trust is already so low and because they're kind of being manipulated by outside forces, like via the Order of the Phoenix, I think that that just adds to that feeling of, like, I don't want to take that additional risk of being completely open and completely intimate. Okay, that's exactly where my brain was going as I was thinking about it. But I was like, I don't feel like I know enough about the background here <laughs> to make a proper assessment. But that was the feeling that I got that, you know, <laughs> there was this lack of emotional intimacy between the two of them that wasn't entirely the war's fault. The war certainly exacerbated it. I can absolutely admit that and see it in your fic and be like, OK, that was really shitty to have to like try to build this brand new relationship in the middle of all of that when they already have so many secrets that they have to keep to themselves and everything. But but yeah, I was just so fascinated. Like, wow, they really just never crossed that line. And that was so interesting. So, yes, this uh, this is such a tragedy. But again, like, I love that, you know, because <laughs> it's so true to life, though. How many times have we all had a relationship like this? Yes. 
And I think that is what I brought in my most recent return to fandom and my most recent return to thinking about the Wolfstar relationship, the relationship between Remus and Sirius. What I have brought is like the levels of complexity that there are when you fall in love with someone, but it's not as cookie cutter picture perfect as you want it to be because people are complicated and people are different and there's going to be outside forces at work. And so a relationship can be very difficult in ways that you don't expect. And in this case, they can be very tragic in ways that you don't expect. And and that's like something that I've really come to appreciate reading about now that I'm older and have like come back to this looking for greater complexity in the reading material that I'm seeking out. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. You know, I would agree with that because, yeah, when when you start seeing these things and you start thinking back to your own real life experiences and you're like, oh, my God, I've felt like this before many times in my life or, oh, my God, I've seen this in action, you know. At certain points in our lives, in our fandom lives, we start looking for those complexities and we start exploring those, I think, in the projects that we pursue, which I appreciate so much. You start to love reading about broken people because you realize that everyone's a little bit broken in different ways. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. And I don't know. For me, it makes me fall in love deeper. I can love something. And then when I see that broken perspective or that broken aspect of it and I can relate to that somehow Ugh, okay now I just love you yes. even more like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I definitely like the characters that I've fallen in love with in recent years they've all been super complicated and kind of not great people at the end of the day <laughs> like they all have like made mistakes and they're and they're like continuing to make mistakes and they're not necessarily learning from those mistakes those are the people that I'm like what makes you tick like why are you like this yes thank you thank you I support that pursuit a hundred percent we love controversial things like that (laughs) oh a friend of mine said to me one time like are you even really in fandom if you don't have at least 10 controversial characters or ships in your back pocket yeah which you know (laughs) yeah i was uh briefly very very involved with the west side story fandom for a short period of time and what was very interesting in that fandom was that the characters are objectively terrible people not all of the side characters but in the pairing that I was interested in, like they were both really just terrible people in canon. And it was very interesting to kind of interact with both the people who got as equally as excited as I did, but also the people who are on the outside saying, I cannot support writing this or reading about this because I think that these characters are morally reprehensible. And on the one hand, you want to say like, okay, yeah, like that's fair. Like, You don't have to like reading about these characters if you think that they've done really, really bad stuff. But on the other hand, it's like, I think it's much more interesting to think about how a character like that got to the place where they are in canon and to try and explain how they got there and to think about the history that would have led them to do terrible things. And then on the back end, even better in a way is to like try and think about how they could recover from the events of canon, right? Like, If they made terrible choices and like terrible consequences happened, 
then what happens next? Do they ever learn from those mistakes? If they do, what does that look like? How do they then interact with the people that they wronged? I think that's all so, so fascinating. And I don't really understand the gut reaction that some people seem to have, which is like, oh, no, I'm not touching that character with a 10-foot pole. Like, they're they're too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I love your point because uh, I'm the same way with what we could refer to as controversial characters. I have my own handful of, you know, controversy (laughs) in my back pocket. And I love the same things that you do. I think that there's so much value in storytelling just in general, but um, I see tremendous value in exploring that in characters that we might call reprehensible characters. Cause you're right. Like (laughs) there's value in, Thinking about, like you said, how did they get there? What influenced them? You know, like, how did this happen? And then is there room for redemption here? Or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. And that's okay, too. You know, I just feel intuitively like there's value there. So I always support it when I see it because I think that it's a good it's a good thing to be able to explore that. Oh, I wanted to know. I mean, this fic, it's five chapters, right? So it's not like this huge behemoth, but five chapters. I mean, and it went way over your 10,000K initial goal here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Was there like a particular scene in this fic that you were looking forward to writing the most? I always look forward to writing the first kiss. I just do. It's like I all of my fics kind of revolve around that moment just before two characters resolve the tension between them i just like i love the kind of the like back and forth when you're trying to figure out like does he like me like i like him like do we risk it all to figure out if this is gonna work i just i just love that so much so that specific scene where they're in a pub and there's like not very much communication but just enough communication that they're both like, okay, yeah, this is going to happen. We're going to go home together. I just, that's what I was like kind of working up to it in my mind. (laughs) I love it. I love when writers are really good at that particular part. I feel like I'm not very good at writing climactic things. I encounter so many writers who are, and they just make that moment like so good. Like it's this... (laughs) payoff scene where you're just like, oh, it's so good. So yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorites absolutely in this fic too, because uh, you did a really great job of building up to that. And then just mm, the emotions were there. Like, oh. ah, thank you. So, so good. The next two, I think I kind of want to lump together because they, they're related. But I was telling you before we started recording that I, I'm just in love with your writing style. It's so lyrical and so beautiful. I had a tremendous time reading this because it was just gorgeous throughout the whole thing. (laughs) I'm blushing so hard. My cheeks are like on fire. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure, though, for reals. I was wondering if um, if there are any things in particular that you feel like have influenced your writing style. And then also I wanted to know what the best piece of writing advice that you've ever gotten was. I I mentioned this a couple of times, but I have like taken big breaks from fan fiction several different times and just like completely stopped reading fan fiction and was only reading novels and I really really like contemporary literary fiction so 
I think probably most of my influences are going to be from authors I really like. So as far as authors go, I really like Sadie Smith. I like Jennifer Egan, who writes great, interesting books, both historical fiction and modern contemporary fiction. I went through a David Foster Wallace phase, which is <laughs> not great. <laughs> But I do think like he has such a unique voice and it's very interesting to read someone whose style cannot be replicated or hasn't been replicated since. So that was very fun. Yeah, I just I think like a lot of a lot of influences from contemporary fiction that's coming out today. That makes so much sense because I, I could absolutely see some influence in there, right, from contemporary literary fiction. It's just, I don't know, there's something in there in your writing style that that reflects that. So super amazing. What about writing advice? I know that throughout the years, as we work on projects and stuff, we get writing advice from all kinds of different sources. I was just wondering, what's the one that helped you the most? I can't remember where I read this or who said it, but at some point I read something like any writer should be reading poetry to get a sense of rhythm. And to get a sense of how words sound versus just like what you're trying to convey, right? Because anyone can write down a list of facts about what a particular character is looking at or what a particular character is doing. But good writing or like how writing is elevated beyond just a list of facts is how those words sound and how they flow and kind of the music of language and the music of writing. And I have like taken that to heart and I do read much more poetry than I used to. But also I think it's made me think about writing in a different way because when I encounter writing that I really like, it usually is because it has musicality to it and the way that a sentence is structured or the way that several sentences are structured and then strung together has variety and music to it in a way that you don't necessarily need to have to convey the same image or to convey the same meaning. That added layer of musicality can really make writing much more interesting and beautiful to read. So yeah, so reading poetry as a way to improve your prose, I really like that for advice. And I've tried to take it to heart moving forward. Oh my God. That is such great advice. I love that. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, yeah, I don't know who said it. I wish I could remember who said it. It's fine. One of these days, uh, we'll figure it out. But I feel like that's tremendous advice because, yes, I love the way that you phrased that. Because, yes, when I encounter it, I just kind of feel it intuitively. But there is a musical quality to it. It's music. There's something about it. And, yes, I can absolutely see the influence from poetry. Poetry does have this way of phrasing things in different ways in different sections. And it just, it's very musical. Mm, okay. That makes me excited. I don't know why that makes me excited. I <laughs> love that. Okay. That makes I'm me so happy. <laughs> so this is kind of like a throwaway question because I was being silly when I wrote this. But um, if you could snap your fingers like Thanos and uh, have the perfect fan fiction appear in your hands immediately without having to write it yourself, <laughs> what would that story look like? 
Oh, I did. I thought about this question a little bit, but I think that I never know what I'm looking for until I find it. And it is also so dependent on mood and it's so dependent on fandom. It's like dependent on so many things of what I'm looking for in the exact moment. And then I can't describe it until it lands in my lap. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, yes, this is exactly what I needed at this moment in my time of life, in my current mood, in like the way that I'm thinking about these characters right now. That's so fair. I've had that experience so many freaking times where you didn't even know that that's what you were looking for until it fell into your lap on accident one day. And that it becomes like one of the most gorgeous things you've ever read in your entire yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, like forms how you think about characters or forms how you think about like the canon in an interesting way. Yeah, it's just like I, I, I remember a few months back, I stumbled on a succession fic just kind of randomly. I love that show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so good. <laughs> I'm having a blast. <laughs> And I don't like, I don't watch Succession and think to myself like, ah, yes, these two characters belong together or really like have any pairing in mind when I watch the show. It's just like, I don't, I don't like come to Succession with a pairing mindset because they're all like too terrible to stick with each other. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes. I'm the same way. When I watch Succession, (laughs) I have my fandom goggles off. Because the drama of the show is enough to keep me engaged, but I have yet to read a succession fan fiction. Um, So that fascinates me. Can I ask, like, do you remember what pairing it was? I'm so curious to know. Oh, my gosh. It's like stuck in my mind as it's um, it's a Kendall Stewie pairing. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's very. (laughs) So I, I read this fan fiction and the reason I read it is just because it's beautiful and it's hilarious and it's a really interesting insight into Stewie as a character who doesn't get a lot of airtime so it's like kind of weird that he gets given all this like interior monologue and it pairs him in in a very like antagonistic unhappy relationship with Kendall where they're just like that you know neither of them are exactly happy about it but they're embroiled in each other in an interesting way and I took that with me you know, I've taken that with me for the last few months. It just, it lives in my head because it was so perfectly written, so perfectly in character for Stewie. And now I approach the show with that in my head as like, oh, like this could be a result of the relationship they have in the background or relationship that they had in the past, or even just bits of the character that makes Stewie, you know, this, this is why Stewie is doing this. And it's just like, I don't remember how I found the fic. I don't remember like why I clicked on it. (laughs) But sometimes a piece of writing just sucks you in and then it just lives in your head forever. And that just happens and you can't control it. You can't control when it happens. It's not necessarily what you were looking for. You wouldn't have predicted it, but there it is. It's just, it's, that's, that is stuck in your brain now. (laughs) Yeah, you just kind of get swept away in the moment. I love that. So that's kind of like uh, the retroactive answer to this very silly question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We are coming to the end of our time today. Before we go, though, do you have any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out real quick? 
Yeah, I wanted just to like re-up the shout out to Jackie. So she's Broom6 on Tumblr, Left Side Down on AO3. She's a delight and she should definitely come on the podcast. And then I just wanted to shout out a couple other friends in the Wolfstar fandom, which are Billy, Bill's saying Earring on Tumblr and AO3. Billy! <laughs> um, June, Tata for now, who you had on last week. And then Andy and Katie and my fellow co-runners of the RS Big Bang, who are M, Mads, and Toothpaste. So yeah, those are my shout outs. And there are so many people that if I had infinite time, I would just like extol their virtues. But those are just the, the people who are like top in my Discord chats at the moment. So... Excellent. I love it. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. I adored this conversation. I had so much fun. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much. This was a delight. I had so much fun. Excellent. Check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.